Our scripture reading this morning is Hebrews 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This is God's word. Good morning, church. You know, we can't, I'm not going to try to pretend it's just a normal week at First of Ann, uh, because it's not. It's been a tough week at First of Ann. It's been a tough week emotionally. It's been a tough week uh, just in terms of, of, of things happening. Um, Eric talked to us about the situation that we're in the midst of uh, with uh, making decisions and, and coal making decisions and session making decisions relative to the role of senior pastor, and, and um, it's hard. And, um, you know, this was kind of a, uh, think about live streaming, you know, you never know who's tuning in to a live stream, you know, and, and uh, people we don't even know, and sometimes you think, well, man, my first thought was, I wish this was just family, I wish this was just, you know, sort of the, the circle, you know, the tight, but then I thought, and God really rebuked me about it, and, and he said, man, if as Christians we can't walk through our junk with people looking, then we don't really have much to offer. And, um, and so as a church, as we go through this over the next weeks, um, don't know what's going to happen yet, but you know, we need as a body to recognize that, that every family Every organization, every, every marriage, every church has those moments, has those moments that we, we use terms like we're, we're at a crossroads or, or a defining moment or uh, as a fork in the road or, or um, a pivotal moment or maybe even make or break. But as a family, I love what Chesterton says about family. He says, you know, the only, uh, the only true adventure is staying home. Is when you leave, you go looking for that with which you're familiar and comfortable. When you stay home, you deal with whatever comes through the door. And, uh, and that really is uh, a lot of what we have to do as family sometimes. We have to just deal with the next thing that comes along. And there's, as you know, in families, there's a lot that comes along. You probably have the same thing that I have in some ways, and that is some bedrock scriptures some passages that, uh, that when maybe you need to make hard decisions, maybe when you just feel like you're walking on, on, on unstable ground and, and you feel like things aren't, aren't kind of how, how you think they ought to be, you're, you're not even sure what they are, and, and, and they're, they're places that you go to not because they so much provide the answer, but because they help us be in the way that we need to be in order to walk through that situation. 
They're the kinds of passages, and, and, and they're sort of those realignment passages. They're, they're sort of those getting ourselves rightly ordered so that we can hear from the Lord, so there's not barriers to our being able to, to perceive and, and understand what it is that, that God is trying to tell us, so that, that we can stop and, and wait and listen. Man, I tell you, one of the most dangerous things we can ever do is think we already have the answer. I have learned, and I should say I am learning, because I'm a slow learner, but I am learning that the best answer is seldom the one I carry into the throne room of grace. It's the one I come out with. Because the one that I go in with has all my biases, all my selfishness. It has all of my preconceived ideas. But when we go and we stay and we tarry at the feet of Jesus and we tarry in the throne room of grace, things begin to change. We begin to see things differently. We begin to perceive things we didn't perceive before. And, and something that looked one way, suddenly it begins to look different because the Spirit of God is, is moving in us and through us as we wait before him. Every time I've ever tried to force God's hand and, and tell God what the best thing was, it's amazing how often down the road I realize that would have been awful. Lord, if you had, if you had done what I asked you for, that would have been terrible. I had a little saying that, you know, I've, I've um, often not liked the way things were going, but I have seldom not liked the way things went. And uh, in the midst of it, sometimes, we just don't like it. But as we allow God to do all that God is seeking to do, in us and through us and around us, we find that we are in a so much better place than if we had just forced our plan to carry through. Now, two of those passages that, for me, are those realignment passages, are those passages that, that I look to to sort of get life squared back, to get myself in the place that I need to be, to be able to walk through something, to make a decision, to understand. Two of those passages, they're both 12th chapters, interestingly enough, 12th chapter Romans, 12th chapter of Hebrews, and they're both the first verses of the chapters. We're just going to talk about the Hebrews passage today, and, and I'm actually going to I'm actually going to be preaching from the NIV. Let me for a very practical reason, not because I think it's a better translation. I know we typically use the ESV here, but I have memorized and said this verse over and over and over again in the NIV. And if I try to use the ESV, I'll get confused. I mean, it's just that simple. I will, I will start get, getting all off off the track here, and so. Uh, we're, we're going to talk through the NIV. Appreciate Dave reading the ESV, kind of give us that perspective of both because they're both great translations of it, but they are a little bit different. So bear with me as I kind of go through the NIV. Let me read it again in the NIV. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Well, the first thing we see here are some witnesses. It says that we have and we are surrounded by great cloud of witnesses. Now, there's not much controversy about who those witnesses are. It's a reference back to chapter 11, sort of the hall of fame of, of faith. And, um, but there is some controversy about what they're doing. 
and about what it means, uh, what this cloud of witnesses is about. The question is, are they witnesses of us or are they witnesses to us? And, and there is a little bit of difference between those. Of us, kind of implied by the fact that they're, we're, we're portrayed as running a race. And so some commentators you know, believe that, that, that they are in a spectator role. They're sort of in that role of cheering us on, encouraging us along. Those who've run the race before us have finished their race, and now they're encouraging and cheering us on in, in, a, in a heavenly way. And you know, the uh, one commentator uh, put it this way. He says, it's like the person in a relay race who hands you the baton and you take off and then they begin to run. I ran off the, 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 the video, I think, earlier. So I'm not going to do that this service. But uh, they, began to, they begin to run and along with you, but they're kind of cutting the corners of the track and you're, you're, you're doing your leg and they're just yelling and they're screaming and they're done, but they're still with you in the midst of it and they're, cha- they're, they're challenging you to keep going. And then they're waiting for you at the finish line to embrace you and, and, and congratulate you on your on your job well done. So that's what this is like. It's like these hosts of witnesses who have gone before us. But maybe it's witnesses to us. They're witnessing to us of God's sustaining grace. They're an example to us as we read through all that they went through, some horrendous things that they experienced. As we go through that, they're witnesses to us of God's sustaining grace. They're witnesses to us of God's sustaining power. They're witnesses to us that God does not abandon us. He does not desert us. He does not let us down, even in our deepest and darkest moments, that he is there with us and for us, and they testify of that, and they witness of that to us. Of us, to us, I don't know. I'll take you to one. Maybe it's... Because, you know, we've probably, if you're like me, you've kind of had that experience in the Christian walk where there's something of this unexplainable bearing us along, encouraging us along. When we sort of have that sense of of, of maybe a desire to quit or just to stop, but but something is cheering us along and, and telling us to finish the race. Or maybe we have moments as we reflect on on those who went before us. Those as God's Spirit reminds us as as we look at a passage like chapter 11 of Hebrews. And God's Spirit reminds me as I read through that, as as I'm feeling discouraged, and and I feel like, you know, I I don't don't necessarily, I'm I'm not those people, but then God reminds me that He didn't love Abraham one bit more than He loves you and me. And he didn't love Sarah or Isaac or Gideon or David or Samuel or any of the martyrs. He did not love them one bit more than he loves you and he loves me. So as we go through that, these processes in life, we realize as sure as he sustained them to finish the race that he had called them to, they are witnesses unto us that he will sustain us as well and give us the ability to finish the race he has called us to. And you know what? We don't know where that race is going, do we? Not only do we not know the whole course of the race, we don't even know what the next footfall will bring. 
You've seen it, hadn't you? You've seen the runners at the Olympics or at some trials to get to the Olympics, and they're running along, and, and this is their dream, and they're a shoe-in, and their foot hits the edge of somebody else's foot. Or they pull a muscle or something snaps, and down they go. They didn't see that coming. And sometimes it's that way for us as well. So there are witnesses, and then there's a preparation we have to go through. If we want to really hear from God, I think, if we don't want encumbrances to being able to really run the race and, and know and, and receive the course as we go along, he says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. You know, I don't know if you've ever participated. I know some of you have. I've actually seen a few faces in here, people who have participated in or, or run or just gone and watched the St. Jude, uh, you know, FedEx, uh, well, not St. Jude, uh, um, marathon, half marathon. Uh, you've seen that. And, and you know what I've noticed? I've noticed that people at the starting line and people at the finish line look different. And I don't just mean the sweatiness, and I don't just mean the haggard uh, look. Um, it's also the way they're dressed. You know, the starting line, people have Donald Duck costumes on. You know, I mean, they're, they've got all kind of, of funny, goofy stuff that they're wearing. I'm, there's not a lot of people that cross the finish line wearing that. Most of that has somewhere along the way been discarded. You know, you see people in sweatsuit, you know, sweatpants and sweatshirts, and, 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 and they start out in that, and, and along the way, that's discarded. You know, some folks are there, and, and, and uh, they're not serious about the race. They, they may even be serious runners, but they're not serious about the race. They're not, they're not seriously trying to win. They're there to have a good time. They're there to support a good cause. They're there for the, all the just fun activities surrounding it. And so they, they've allowed a lot of things to be hindering them and, and a lot of things that can entangle them. But you walk up to the front of the pack. You walk up to where the elite runners are getting ready. There's no feather boas. There's no funny costumes. These folks are stripped down to barely street legal. And they are ready, and they are taking it dead serious. And that's the attitude we need. We need to prepare ourselves. And this isn't just an in a time of crisis thing. But be preparing ourselves so that we can run the race unhindered. Now, how do we do that? Well, part of that has to do with... with um, taking off, throwing off the things that hinder, hinder us. You know, you think about a picture of, if you've ever seen one of those rescue shows, you know, whether it's a drama in real life kind of thing or, or uh, a movie even or the news, maybe on the news, where you see a person standing by a lake or by a river and, and someone has fallen in and you see the people running toward it, um, they are not just casually taking off their shoes and setting them neatly to the side and, you know, folding their jacket and laying it down. What you see is this intensity. You see this ripping off of this jacket, throwing it to the ground, this 
ripping off of a shoe and throwing it down, ripping off the other shoe and throwing it down. They're in a race. They're in a race for someone's life. They're in a race to save someone from going down for the last time. And it's serious business to them. And they're not runners in a street race, but they're runners in a rescuing race. And there's an intensity and there's an urgency about what they're doing. I've got to get in that water. I've got to get in that water as fast as I can. I've got to get to that person. I've got to, I've got to rescue them. And there's an intensity to what they are doing as they're throwing off and removing anything that could entangle them, anything that could weight them down and hinder their ability to perform the rescue that they've gone in the water to do. That's the intensity. That's the urgency with which we prepare to run the race that God has called us to. Now, we need to be unhindered and unentangled. Every hindrance, everything that would be a hinder, could potentially be a hindering thing is not necessarily a sinful thing. And so what in one season of our life or even on a given day may not be a hindering thing at all at another point in our life, another season somewhere along in our life may become a hindrance to us in something. So it's not so much about the activity, it's about we have to be honest about whether it is hindering us or not. And we have to be honest about whether something is entangling us or not. Sin wraps itself around us and entangles us and seeks to drag us down. People say, well, I've got, you know, I've got parents I have to take care of. I've got you know, children. I've, I've got uh, you know, this, that, or the other that are legitimate things. Those aren't hindrances to your race. Those are part of your race in that point. That's part of the race that you're running is that mission that God has given to you in that. But I need to reorient myself. And I realize, you know, I'm just kind of going along through that. And we all kind of do that. We all get into that mode of we're just going through life. We're not living real intentionally. We're not really living real purposely. And then all of a sudden something happens. And it grabs our attention. And something happens and all of a sudden it, it, it wakes us up. And we realize, am I in a condition to be able to walk through this in a healthy, God-honoring way. Because even at our worst, there's a God-honoring way to walk through our worst situation. There's a God-honoring way for us to address even our own sin. There's a God-honoring way to walk in repentance and to walk in, uh, in, a, in a heart that is, is seeking the Lord, even in difficult times. And when I get ready, and I'm in one of those seasons where I'm like, man, this is, this is, I can't just do life normally right now. You know, one of the first places we need to look is a mirror. And I don't mean just a regular mirror. I mean one of those that makes your face look this big. You know, one of those that you look in, it just magnifies everything. So we see everything. We have to ask, are there hindrances or things that are hindering me? Maybe good things, but they've become a hindrance to me. Is there sin that's entangling. Maybe that's sins of omission, just things I've been neglecting that I should have been about, or sins of commission, or is it unrighteousness or, or self-righteousness? The writer of Hebrews says, throw it off. Get rid of it. Throw off those hindrances. Throw off that sin with intensity, with fervency, with urgency. Rid those things of your life. So we have witnesses and we have this preparation and then we have thirdly a race. 
He says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, let me take that sentence and and build it for you because it's a great sentence the way it builds and the way it just kind of shows us the next thing, the next piece as we walk through it. So God's called us to a race, every single one of us. None of us are exempt. None of us don't have a race to run. And the first thing he says, he says to run. Now, that implies something. It implies that this is not casual, that this is not just everyday life. It implies that this, I don't think the idea here is of a fun run or a fun walk. I think the idea here is of something that is is intense. It's it's, going to get to the race here. We're to run with perseverance. What does perseverance tell me? Perseverance says it's probably not short and it's not easy. Otherwise, perseverance is not needed. We don't need perseverance for something we can do without effort. The fact that we're called to run with perseverance implies this is going to be something that's going to take effort. This is something that is going to take some some focused work in order for us to do that and a tremendous amount of faith for us to do this. So we're to run, we're to run with perseverance, we're to run with perseverance this race. The race, the word actually here is the word we get our word agony from. Guthrie says it includes the idea of conflict. So these are difficult things that we're running in. We run the race with perseverance that's marked out. You know, we don't get to run whatever race we want. We don't get to determine our course. You know, if I got to determine the course, I might pick another course. Those of you that have run, you know, we think Memphis doesn't have hills. Take a right off of Lake, uh, uh, Riverside Drive and start up Beale Street and tell me Memphis doesn't have any hills. It's got hills and it's agonizing going up that hill, at least for me. <laughs> Maybe not for you, but for me, it was agony. I didn't want that part of the race. I dreaded it. I knew it was coming. I dreaded it. It's hard. And sometimes there are things that even when we know they're coming, sometimes we don't know they're coming. Sometimes we do and we still dread them. Sometimes places are painful. Places that the race takes us are painful and they're hard. Sometimes they're places that we don't understand. That's why we've got to be in a good state. That's why we've got to be in a place where no matter what comes, we can begin and walk through this. We're not only to run the race, we're not only to run the marked race, but we're to run the race that's uniquely marked out for us. There's some elements that all of us have in common in our race. There's some elements, and part of the reason we can have empathy with one another is that there are parts of the Christian race, this this Christian life that we all share in common. We all know what that's like. We all experience that. There's elements of family life, of church life, of all these things that we all share in common. But there are also elements of my race that you will never see or experience. And there are elements of your race that I will never see or experience. You look to your right, you look to your left, up and down the pews, none of you are going to have the same race. None of you are going to experience it exactly the same way. Some of you are going to have very long races. Some of your races will be relatively short. Some of you can have very easy races. Some of your races will be very, very difficult. And if I try to run your race... That's disaster for me. If you try to run mine, that's disaster for you. We must all run the race that is marked out for us. 
the race that God has called us to. I don't know why he makes some people's courses so much more different than the course he makes for someone else. But no matter what your course, no matter what your, <clears throat> no matter the, the difficulty, no matter the ease, no matter the twists and the turns and the ups and the downs, we must all, all of us, fix our eyes on Jesus, on that finish line, on him at the finish line the author and perfecter of our faith. We can't run the race marked out for us if we're constantly looking all over. If we've got no focus in our life, if we've got no direct, and especially in times where we're in a, in a hard place, where we're wrestling with things, where we're struggling with things. It's, it's, it's always true, but, we, but we've, we've got to, to call ourselves back to this thing, this fixing our eyes on Jesus in those moments of, of deepest difficulty and despair. Because if I'm watching you run your race and you're watching me run mine and, and we're, we're looking over here and we're looking over there at, at progress and somebody's progress or, or somebody stumbled or, man, they've got an easy course over there. They have a, I can't believe how difficult their course is. If we're always looking at that and, and envying or, or pitying and we're looking at the circumstances around us or, or there's clouds gathering or if we're in a, in a race offshore, we, 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 we start noticing the tempest that's swelling and, and building around us and that becomes our focus and we take our eyes off of Jesus. There's no way we can move and forward in the race in a healthy way. Your translation may say looking unto or looking to, but I like the NIV here where it says fix. It has that idea of being riveted, locked on, down the track, seeing Jesus. You know, as you're running down the track, there may be a pole vaulter doing his thing over here and a, a jumper doing their thing over here and a coach yelling somebody, an ambulance carrying somebody off over here. All kinds of things are going on in life. And we're running straight ahead. And if we begin to look at all those things that are going on, we're probably going to experience disaster, but we're certainly not going to experience the run that we could have with our eyes fixed straight ahead, seeing Jesus. Not being like Lot's wife and looking back, or, or even like Peter, and I, I admire him for getting out of the boat in the first place, but as he began to look around and see the waves swelling, his eyes off of Jesus. You know what? I don't want to be like Lot's wife. I don't want to be like Peter. I want to be like Stephen. I want to be like Stephen in, in Acts chapter 7, one of the most glorious verses in the New Testament, I believe, full of the Holy Spirit. Stephen looked up to heaven. He gave this perfect example of what it is to fix your eyes on Jesus and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, let me tell you something. He was not at a fabulous worship experience. Well, maybe he was actually, but not by our standard where the music was just right and the lighting was just right and, and everything was just ordered just perfectly. That's not where he was. He wasn't at some party. He wasn't at some big Christian gathering festival or missions conference or anything like that, he was about to be stoned to death. He was about to be stoned to death. And he looks up and he sees Jesus. I don't know if we'll get to see Jesus in that same way at our death. But Stephen did. And he saw him standing at the right hand of God. Why 
Is Jesus the one on whom we need to fix our eyes? I mean, there are a lot of great role models out there. There are a lot of of great people that we could follow, whose example we could follow. And it sounds kind of like a dumb question to even say, why Jesus? But, you know, actually, in our words and our actions, we tend to kind of display that we might not really know the answer to that question as well as we think we do sometimes. And maybe it's not as obvious as we think it is. But Jesus is the only one who could originate, who could author, who could found our faith. And Jesus is the only one who could complete our faith. With our eyes fixed on Jesus, our race will someday not only be over, but will also be complete. You know, a lot of people's races are over, but not complete. We can take ourselves out of the race. We can give in to despair and and quit and take ourselves out of the race without ever completing the race. So completing and it being over are not the same thing. See, Jesus was the ultimate example, first of all, at the cross of completing his race. The idea that he endured the cross Scorning at shame, sat down for the joy set before him. The cross wasn't the joy. The joy was what was beyond the cross. He endured the cross for our redemption. Satan wants our race to be over before it's complete. But if we focus our eyes and fix our eyes on Jesus, the one who originated our faith, the one who sustains our faith, And when we come to those times in our journey with him, we were at that crossroads, we were at that pivotal moment, forking the road, defining moment, whatever we want to call it. When we find ourselves at that, are we going to remember or are we going to ignore that great cloud of witnesses? Are we going to wear or are we going to throw off those things that hinder and, and entangle? Are we going to run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us or, or, or look around with envy or pity at somebody else's race? Are we going to let our eyes wander across the field and, and, and maybe trip and stumble and, and, and not be able to finish the race or at least not finish it well? Are we going to watch others run their race and make comments about how they're running? Are we going to let our eyes just wander onto the tempest of the waves around us or or our burning city behind us, or look straight ahead with our eyes fixed on Jesus, the one who founded our faith, the one who completes our faith. Why? You know, this sermon could be preached backwards. Could have started the whole thing with a question. Could have started with the question of, made verse 3, the last part of verse 3, into a question. How would you not grow weary and lose heart? In the toughest of times, in times when things seem upside down, in times when it's hard to know, what do we do? 
How do you not grow weary and lose heart? You fix your eyes on Jesus. That's what it's all about. Fix your eyes on Jesus because anything else distracts. No matter which way we go, come back to that idea of eyes riveted and fixed on the Savior. Let's pray. Father, there are many voices in our life. There are many things that would seek to hinder, entangle us. It's easy for us to look at someone else's race. It's easy for us to um, want to analyze the race that another is running rather than being concerned and focused on the race you've called us to run. Father, in this room, we're not all running the same exact race. Ultimately, those of us who are in Christ have a common finish line. And our focus is on the same one, Jesus Christ. But along the way, there are a lot of differences and a lot of experiences that will not be the same. Father, I pray that we would not become so concerned with a particular thing here or a particular thing there that we miss the glory of having our eyes fixed on you, even as Stephen, as he prepared to be in your presence. Thank you for the promise of that, that we need not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus' name, amen.